Jesus, we thank You this morning that Your work of salvation goes beyond just taking us from a path to death into a path to new life, but that You are working. You're working this week to make us more like You. You are drawing us into the life of God. You're the one who saves and delivers, and You're the one who continues to guide that working out of salvation. Lord, we take a, a moment to pause before You this morning and just to ask You, Lord, would You show us um, ways that this week we were not cooperating with You? That we were not... Um, maybe we were resisting that work of Your Spirit to make us like You. To make us holy where we showed no hunger, no thirst to be like You. Lord, we name these places silently before You this morning. Acknowledge that, as Your Word says, that right now we see only dimly as in a mirror. But that if we could glimpse into heaven, we would see glory, glory, glory. We would see Your perfection. We would see Your worth. We would see the love in Your eyes that took You to the cross. Lord, in Your presence, we acknowledge that Your glory, Your worth, and Your love demand our all in response. Lord, we thank You that as we've acknowledged these sins before You that You, you say You are forgiven. I cleanse You. I wash You in My blood. And Lord, we worship You as the King who has cleansed us. Lord, we do honor You. Friends, I invite us just to stay in this place of prayer and worship even as the children um, leave to go and um, worship the Lord downstairs. Children, be blessed to know Jesus our King and to love and honor Him in all You do. Um, friends, we turn our hearts to um, family prayer now, and I invite that you may be seated if you would like. We, um, we just sung the words, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me. And as we sung those words, I had the sense that some of us were saying, yes, I am. And others were saying, yes, but. And the Lord was bringing to our mind maybe areas of our lives or our families' lives that aren't well. They're not well. And so we're going to come into the presence or carry on in the presence of Jesus, our King, and we're going to bring Him our praise for that which is well and we're going to bring Him our lament and our petitions for that which isn't well. And so let's join our hearts in prayer and go before Jesus, our King. Jesus, hear our prayers. You whose love is unfailing. You whose love took You to the cross. And You whose love carries on and who's ever willing to come and be present to places in our hearts and lives, those of our families. Lord, to, to hear and to answer. And so, Lord, hear our prayers. We pray, have Your own way in us. We pray that as we sing it, so that we could be vessels of that covenant love, vessels of that reconciliation, vessels of Your kingdom coming 
on earth as it is in heaven. So hear us now as we sing, O Lord. Our prayer as we turn our hearts toward your word, that you use this word now to form you in us, Jesus, and so that you would have absolute sway over our hearts and our lives. And so before we open your word, um, we say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Reign and rule in us and in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You should all have um, hopefully received this when you came in with the worship folder. One page, two sides, with some, it's titled Luke 10, 3-16, notes on the rest of the text. You received that this morning because as I uh, spent the week meditating on this passage, uh, I found myself much more than usual reading it over and over and over again. And yeah, just put up a hand if you need one of those copies. And I kept getting stuck, as it were, on verse 2. I couldn't get past it. And although I felt as though the Lord had much to say and teach through the whole passage, I also felt that He had a whole sermon to give us on verse 2. And so, um, lest you be cheated, there are the notes on the rest of the passage. We're going to read Luke 10, 1-16, and I'm going to preach on verse 2. And the rest is for you to chew on at home. Please don't read it while I'm preaching. (laughs) So, so Luke 10, who's got the page in the blue, um, the blue Bibles? What is it, Elaine? 16.13. The context, uh, again, is that Jesus has been um, preparing His disciples for His uh, departure and for His turn toward Jerusalem. And He's preparing them for what discipleship's going to look like, um, both as they head toward Jerusalem and they face rejection and um, persecution for belonging to and following him, but then also for the same after he's left. And so we've heard him give uh, now three, well, we've had three sermons in a row in which Jesus has been teaching about uh, discipleship. What does it mean to follow him? What's the cost? And how do we handle rejection? So on the back end of that, Luke says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. 
If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The Word of God. Near the end of uh, this past summer, my wife Ann and I went for an evening over to our brother and sister-in-law's place, Zach and Casey, and uh, they've got a, a really big garden. They love gardening, and it seems that they're getting pretty good at it, but not so much with the corn this year. Uh, we saw the, the corn stalks full grown and uh, saw corn on the stalks and got real excited for them, and we said, hey, guys. Look at that corn, it looks great. Do you have any yet? And they said, yeah, yeah, it's not really good. Actually, it's kind of, kind of bad. It tastes real bad. And I said, oh, well, what, what do you think happened? And Zach said, well, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. But he said, I, I think I missed, I missed the, the period of ripeness. I think I, we actually let them stay on the stock too long and pulled them off a little bit late. And again, he's not an expert and neither am I. So I don't know how long corn can stay on the stock. Maybe we've got some folks who lived in Iowa here. Maybe they could tell us later. But, right, cornfields and cornfields. But this I do know. I do know that, that people not like Zach, but people who do farming for their livelihood and who depend on the income that comes from that corn or that soybean or that wheat or that whatever, they know precisely, minutely, when something's ripe, they know that there's this like little window of time and they know how to gauge it when something is ready to be pulled off the plant and they've got it calculated just when to do it because they know how long it's got to take to harvest it, how long it's got to take to package it, how long it's got to take to send it off and to get it to market or to wherever it needs to go. And they know down to the detail when ripeness is and they pay particular attention to it. You don't have to tell a farmer when something's ripe. He watches his fields. 
Now, we're not farmers, so I figured a, a couple of uh, illustrations for us that might be the same would be like this. Uh, you don't, if you go to um, a sports stadium for a game, you don't need to tell the vendors when the intermission's coming. They're watching. They're ready for the harvest of people that are going to come to their stands. You don't need to tell them to get ready. You don't need to tell Dwayne Felber when hunting season is. Or anybody who loves hunting. Because they're watching and they're waiting and they're getting ready. And when November 15 comes, he's out the door. Anytime that there seems to be profit on the line, Black Friday, the Christmas season, we don't need to tell companies to get ready for the harvest of profits that are coming. They see it. They anticipate it. They think about it. They plan for it. They take action steps for when it gets here. Now you tell me, why on earth does Jesus say, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest field? Why does that one, why does God the Father need to be petitioned to send out workers into His harvest field? Why does the God who John 3.16 tells us so loved the world that He sent, He gave His only Son, He sent Him into the world that no one should die, but everyone who comes to Him should have eternal life, whose love is that deep, who wants every human being to know and be drawn into and experience the fullness of that love. Why does he have to be asked, Father, would you send out? Wouldn't you think that that one who loves so deeply, that one who initiated sending Jesus, that that one would say, hey, the fields are ripe. Calling up the laborers. You go, you go, you go. You go to Yemen. You go to Saudi Arabia. You go to East Asia. You go to South America. You go. Wouldn't he just deploy them? Why is it that Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest? Let me tell a short story. A few of you will remember that last week, Sunday evening, when we gathered to hear about what God did in South Korea uh, through my time with the team there um, the two weeks previous, I, I told this story about being um, on intercession, praying one one uh, afternoon, and as the teachers were teaching, noticing that someone in front of me was struggling to stay awake, and extending my hand toward that person, and just beginning to pray, Lord, would you please wake my brother up? Lord, would you pour uh, refreshing waters on him? Lord, would you strengthen him so that he has the energy to be able to pay attention? Lord, bring him back up. Head down on the desk. Lord, bring him back up. Lord, give him the ability to be present to what you're teaching and what you're doing and how you're wanting to equip. Lord, and as I prayed that, within 30 seconds, up comes my brother. And then, here's my sister, struggling. And the same thing. And one, two, three, four, five, six people in a span of ten minutes. Everyone. Held out my hand toward him, just 
That's a, that's a way of blessing or demonstrating. Blessing is just a physical way of representing that I'm praying for somebody. Held up my hand and prayed for my brother or prayed for my sister. And every one of them, I kid you not, within 30 seconds, up, off the table, eyes open, back in, back participating in what God was doing as he was teaching. God, sovereign. He's, got, he's all powerful. Why did he need to use me to do that? Why? Why did I notice that when I stopped or slowed down praying, that people actually got drowsier and went back to sleep? And that when I prayed more for them or carried on in prayer, they perked back up and were able to be attentive to what God was doing? Why? He's sovereign. It goes back to creation and God's design and God's desire that we be partners with Him in this world. That we, that we are invited into what He wants to do in this world. So in creation, He says to Adam and Eve, you take care. And He says to them, you see these animals? And He gives them authority. He says, you name them. You know what it means to name somebody? It means to give it its identity. And so he is, he is giving Adam, he's giving him the ability to shape reality. He's saying, you say what this thing is. You say what this thing is called. You exercise my authority on earth to change or to shape or to create. Now that's before the fall. What does God do after the fall? Well, he starts working with a group of people. Abram, Isaac, Joseph, Israel. We follow the story. Many of you know it. And as he works with that group of people, people he's redeeming, he does the same thing. So that when Moses is leading Israel through the desert toward the land that God's going to give them, and they're attacked by the Amalekites, Moses says to Joshua, you go and fight. You, you lead the troops out and fight the battle. And Moses goes up on a mountain and he starts to pray. And when he has his arms up in intercession, Joshua is winning the battle. And when Moses takes his arm down and stops to pray, Joshua and the troops get driven back. And Moses, strengthened by, by um, one on his right and one on his left, carries on praying. The battle goes forward. The kingdom of God moves forward. The resistance against it moves backward. We see the same thing in Jesus, who the Gospels tell us from start to finish was a man of prayer, who constantly went off to be alone, to be in the place where he not only received guidance from God the Father about what God wanted to do in and through him, but where he also petitioned God to move. You see, the The story of Scripture is the story of God inviting us to shape reality with Him. God inviting us to not only do work on His behalf, but petition Him to do that work and having Him move to shape and change reality through our prayers. Well, now... That's a pretty weighty thing. That's a pretty big thing, isn't it? I mean, that, that kind of seems to mean 
Well, that at least begs the question, what happens if we don't pray? What happens if we don't pray? Well, let me ask you this. Or let me tell you, tell, tell you a couple of things and then ask you about them. Early on, there was a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in India and in China, early on after Christ. A couple hundred years, small witness. After that, fizzled out. No witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in China or India. Very little for a long period of time. Thousand years, more than a thousand years. Is that God's will? Is it God, God who longs for all to come to the knowledge of Jesus? God who so loves the world, is that His will? No, I don't think so. Whoa, this is weighty. All of a sudden, we're realizing that the church has deep responsibility to to not only work with God, but to petition Him that this prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, is so much more than a mealtime pattern or something that we would pray once a week in worship. But it's something that's to shape the way we hunger and thirst, the way we pray. Why does God do this? Why does He decide that He's going to work in and through our prayers? Why does He invite us into working with Him so that our prayers shape reality? Well, I want to um, look at really briefly at Matthew 9, which is the parallel. I'm just going to read it. You don't need to flip there. I'm going to read two verses. This is the parallel passage to this one from the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, this is it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. There's so many people out there that are harassed, that are hopeless. There's so many out there that I love and that I have compassion on. The harvest is plentiful, he says, but the workers are so few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. It's the compassion of God that moves him to action. And here's what happens when we begin to pray that the Lord would send out workers, we begin to experience His compassion. He begins to change our heart. When we begin to pray, when we begin to have eyes to see the harassed and the helpless, the ones who don't have a shepherd, the ones who need a shepherd, the ones who are involved in the sex trade, the ones who are homeless, the ones who are living on less than $2 a day, the ones who don't have clean water, when we begin to pray for those ones, when we begin to ask, Lord, 
Lord, would You provide a way for there to be clean drinking water in this country? Did you know that every 15 seconds somebody in the world dies because they don't have clean drinking water? It is so easy to hear that stat and go, holy smokes, that's crazy, and then not think about it ever again. But if you start to pray, Lord, make a way for clean drinking water to come to Zambia. I'm just picking a place. Make a way for clean drinking water to come to wherever it is. If you pray and you keep praying, all of a sudden God starts to move in your heart. You begin not only to feel a burden for this people, but you begin to love them. And when you love them and you're praying for them and you're not stopping because there's not yet a solution, God begins to invite and involve you into being a part of that solution. He changes your heart as you pray. And so the question could be asked, do we pray because we love? Or do we love because we pray? Both. Yes, thank you. But don't not pray because you don't feel like it. Or don't not pray because you don't have love or you're not feeling, you're not feeling any call toward intercessory prayer. The world needs Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And if we will pray, God will change our hearts even more. He'll draw every one of us into an arena of work and of service in His kingdom. But more than that, He'll use us even to answer our own prayers. I'm thinking of a really practical example. Um, maybe five weeks ago, Pastor Gina took the Green family up front and we cried for them because they've been homeless for months and Scott was living in the car and Ginny was in a bedroom with three kids in a not very good environment and we said, Lord, please. Well, the Lord used our prayers. But He also he, he used them not just to provide a place, but He used them to move on the hearts of some of us. And some of us some folks here have been at work actually making, making, uh, making arrangements, giving themselves uh, their finances and their time to getting this place. And so the Lord willing, within a week or a little bit, that family's going to have a place to live. The Lord willing. Yeah. But if we just said, Lord, provide a place, and boom, you know, our heart wasn't engaged and we kind of dropped off and forgot about it, well then what? You see how you see how there's a difference to the way we pray? Jesus isn't saying Jesus isn't saying, ask the Lord of the harvest one time. He's not saying, hey, set your alarm for Friday at um, seven and on Friday, ask God, Lord, would you send some workers to Saudi Arabia or, you know, just pick a place? He's calling us to engage our hearts at the deepest level in hungering and thirsting for the coming of the kingdom of God in every way, shape, and form that it is needed across this earth. And the very ones that, get, that pray are also the ones that get sent. In Matthew 9, Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His field. And the very next thing it says is Jesus called 12 to Him, gave Him authority, sent Him out. Luke 10, Jesus called 72 together, gets ready to send Him out says pray to the Lord of the harvest, and then says go. So what happens when we pray? Bridge Street House of Prayer is what happens when we pray. That's what happens when a bunch of young people say, God, we're here gathered together to seek your face and to see your kingdom come. And who could have known ten years ago when a bunch of young people started praying that God would develop this 
full-orbed ministry that's now raising up young people and sending them across the nations. Discipleship Training Center that is sending young people across the nations to do the work of Jesus. You could never have known, but it happened because you started to pray. You started to pray, Lord, use us. And so the first thing I want us to hear this morning is that our prayers can be used to affect the destinies of people, of communities, and of nations. I want to tell you a quick story about William Carey. He is um, what some people call the father of the modern mission movement. He was a pastor in England in the 18th century, and he loved geography. And so Carey had a globe, and he had a map, map of the world, and as he would pour over it, he, he felt the Lord drawing him to pray for the nations that didn't know the Lord. And so he began to pray, and that began a pattern of several years of prayer and intercession. And as he began to pray, the Lord began to move on his heart for the unsaved. And he thought to himself, you know what? Nobody's working. Hardly anybody that we know of is working in India. We ought to have a, we ought to have a mission to India. So he went to his local gathering of pastors, and he proposed to them after much prayer. He said, brothers, I think that we ought to gather together all our finances and our prayers, and we ought to form an organization that would send some missionaries to India. You know what they said to him? They said, young man, sit down. If God wanted to save the Indians, he could very well do it on his own. He doesn't need you. That's what they said. And praise God, he didn't listen to them. Praise God that his heart felt the heart of God's love for our brothers and sisters in India. And so he went. And he not only went, but hundreds followed him. Hundreds. Same story as Hudson Taylor. What happens when you pray, and that began with one man with a map and a globe at home in his humble little place saying, God, show me how to pray for the world. Show me how to pray. And the result of that prayer was hundreds, thousands to India, to China for Taylor. We don't need to start by saying, God, use me for hundreds and thousands. We need to start by saying, God, show me how to pray. Show me how to strengthen my faith so that I'll believe that from my knees and my living room and my bedroom here on the west side of Grand Rapids, you will change lives. You will change hearts. You will change destinies. Maybe you'll change nations. Faith, praise, let your kingdom come. Dr. Jung is the pastor of the largest church in the world in South Korea. About 100,000 people uh, are a part of that church. And I had the opportunity to hear him speak last year in Grand Rapids through a translator. And um, th- th- these are the words that he said that... Um, struck struck me the most. He said, if we really believe that God is sovereign and all-powerful, then we'll pray. 
if we believe that God has the ability to do anything, then we'll ask him to do it. And so it's really a question or a matter of faith. First, do I believe God has the ability? And second, where does my heart lie? So the last few weeks, as Jesus has been challenging us about discipleship and what it looks like to count the cost and to lay down our life and to hunger and thirst for his kingdom, he has been calling us, Jesus has been speaking to us and calling us to evaluate the priorities of our hearts. Well, one way we could do that is just by simply saying, what do I pray for? Because what I pray for shows me what I want and what I'm focused on, what I'm concentrated on. So if I pray for myself a lot, that's not bad. But if that's all I pray for, then I'm seeking first the kingdom of Dave and Dave's well-being. And my heart isn't engaged, my life isn't engaged in, Lord, let your kingdom come. Faith prays. We're all called into the work of Jesus, and the first work is prayer. So let me ask you this. When you watch the evening news, and you see negative story after negative story after negative story, how do you respond? Do you turn the TV off and say, oh man, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. This world is just getting, it's getting worse and worse. It's getting darker and evil. Or do you turn it off and say, Lord, your presence is needed here. Lord, your light is needed here. Lord, your comfort is needed here. Lord, your truth is needed there. Lord, there are, there are Iraqi or, or, or uh, ISIS um, fundamentalists who need a radical encounter with the love of Jesus Christ. Who need you to come face to face and open their eyes and, sh- and do the same thing you did for Apostle Paul. Lord, I believe you can do that for every one of them. Lord, end the killing. Lord, end it. Lord, end this evil. When I was in South Korea and God was giving me this beautiful object lesson, uh, holding out my hand, praying one by one by one by one, I was 10 and 20 feet away from each of them, maybe 30 from the most, okay? So I could see what God was doing. Let me ask you something. If I was outside that room doing the same thing, you think God would have answered the same way? Yeah? Well, what if I was on the other side of South Korea praying for them? You think God would have still answered the same way? I mean, I, I couldn't see them, but I could still pray for them. What if I was not even on South Korea, I'm just in Central Asia praying? Same thing? Can God still work and move through that? What if I was right here in this church sanctuary? What if I was on the west side praying for those brothers and sisters? Hands extended. Could God still lift them up? Could He still revive? Yeah. Lord, send out workers into Your harvest field. Jesus says to us, My house, the place where I dwell, shall be a house of prayer For all nations, all nations, 
I'm praying right now that the Lord is planting and stirring up faith. I'm praying right now that the Lord is planting calls on you. That he is saying, pray, pray, pray before you do anything else. I'm praying right now that you believe that not just nations, but children in Sibley School and relatives who are struggling deeply and marriages that are falling apart and family members that need the Lord will all be changed as we get on our knees and we pray, Lord, send out workers into that harvest field and that one and that one because they're all ripe. Ripeness isn't just that time where Jesus is sending them out. Every generation has its own ripeness and within every generation there are places of deep ripeness because wherever there's need for Jesus Christ, there's ripeness. And so I'm calling us this morning to be a house of prayer all the more. We have seen God move powerfully through prayer over the last few years here. And I, yeah, and I think that this is where I want to land. That you can hear the, this pattern of how God works through Scripture, that He calls humans into partnership with Him, that He gives us this high and lofty and important position whereby He deems that He'll work through us and our prayers matter. And we can hear the weight of that and it can be heavy. But I don't believe the Lord wants it to be or to end heavy. I believe He'd have us evaluate whether we're prayerless. And I believe that that, that would be a, that he would, he would have us come face to face with whether faith in His ability to change circumstance and situation and to bring the grace and the love of God to bear affects whether or not we're praying. I believe He'd have us evaluate that. But at the end of the day, here's why I believe He invites us to be men and women and children of much faith and much prayer. John 15. He's leaving his disciples. He is preparing for his departure. And he's just gone over the, the work of the Holy Spirit that he's going to give to them. And he's told them, you know, ask in my name and you'll receive. Up till now you haven't asked, but what I tell you, whatever you ask in my name, you'll receive. I'm telling you this, all these things, he says, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete, maybe full. It seems really paradoxical. The world would say, get out there and work and change the world. Jesus says, get down on your knees and change the world. And as you demonstrate the humility and the faith and the perseverance that would pray, you will be filled with joy. And so I, I um, end by saying that to every one of you who's hearing a call into prayer this morning, you engage the Lord personally. And you say, Lord, I need your help. And Lord, I need some encouragement right away. Would you give me some people and some things and some places to pray for? Lord, show me how to pray. And, then, and Lord, I, I just pray that you'd give me some encouragement. That, show me that you're moving. Some, whoa, it's changing. Okay? Let's, let's end there and, and pray. Lord, thank you that, um, that you do give us such joy in co-laboring with you. 
Thank you that your invitation, while very important, is not heavy. Thank you that you have work for each of us to do with you in prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would um, just release to us right now, into our hearts and our minds, those things that you would call us to pray for. Just begin to place them on our hearts, whether they're families or individuals or schools or communities or nations or um, areas of struggle. Lord, begin to um, give to us those things that you'd have us to pray for. Lord, would you strengthen again and stir up faith in us so that we would pray long enough to see you answer? Lord, would you give us the faith to pray um, direct, concrete prayers, asking you for very specific things? Lord, would you... Uh, bring us deep encouragement as we pray. I'm thinking about how so many of us, um, we, we get on our knees or in our, wherever we pray and often feel alone and sometimes aren't even sure of your presence. Lord, would you reassure of your presence? Would you strengthen and comfort us even as we pray? Lord, I thank you for how you are going to use this humble uh, group of people, this group that loves you dearly, uh, to bring many into your kingdom. I thank you for how you are changing this neighborhood, and how your kingdom is coming. And we just acknowledge before you that it's all your work, and that you initiate it, and that you have done it and are doing it through prayer. And we commit ourselves in your presence, Lord, to be a praying people, praying church all the more, and pray you show us what that looks like. In your name, Jesus. Amen. The Lord's Supper. It's such a gift that um, the Lord invites us to pray for workers to be sent into the harvest. Because don't you know that we need reinforcements? We're actually praying in our spiritual reinforcements. And so even as Moses was praying and Joshua was fighting, I'm sure Joshua was saying, hope he's praying for reinforcements because we're in a battle. And the Lord invites his disciples to come in off the battlefield and to come to the table to meet him in these elements to be encouraged because you have been these are hard times these are we do we may be in having a wonderful time but we may be in a hard time because there are battles and so the lord meets us and i want to remind you of this that jesus gathered his disciples on the night that he was going to be betrayed and he gave thanks and it's still every time i read that i just think he was giving thanks before he was getting ready to lay down his life for them and for us. And he gave thanks. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is for you. He said, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup
and he poured it. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. His blood poured out to cover over our sins. And he meets us in this meal, family. And every friend that's here that is a believer in Jesus Christ, he meets us today to encourage us, to strengthen us. The way that we partake of the meal here at Gold Avenue is that we'll have, I'm going to go ahead and invite the board members to come up. And we come from the front and we just pass by the table, pick up the elements and bring it back. But don't partake of them until we've all been served. And then we'll do that together. Um, If you're a child and you haven't made a profession of faith yet, we would ask that you would not partake. But parents, please explain this meal and bless the children. They can walk along with you. Let me pray. Lord, would you consecrate, would you set apart these elements, this bread and this juice? And Lord, would you meet us here? Would you strengthen those that have been in battles? And Lord, would you strengthen all of us? Strengthen us to pray and strengthen us to be obedient even in the ways that you would call us to help in the fulfillment of the prayers that we pray for. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. We do have gluten-free if you need that. table is ready. Come.
Jesus Christ, given for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. Thank you. of Christ was given for us for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Burns workers, the nursery, everyone here has partaken. We pray for workers for the harvest, that the Lord would send out more workers so that our family grows, right? And so the Lord bless you with these words, grace, mercy, and peace be yours in abundance. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.